Hey, this is Pastor Jesse of City Lights Church, and I just want to thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast. We hope that it inspires you and confirms the fact that the kingdom of God is a present reality in our lives that you get to live out. You get to be God's ambassador of the kingdom of heaven. That's exciting news. We also hope that our messages challenge your identity to help you understand who you really are in Christ. I hope that you're blessed by this message today. Good morning, everyone. I'm glad to be able to preach today. Uh, it's going to be a fun day today because after I'm done speaking, Jesse has something that ties into the message as well. So you get two pastors today sharing. I saw that look of like, oh gosh, how long is this service going to be today uh, from you guys? He's not sharing his own separate sermon, but he's sharing something. So uh, we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer today. And not the Lord's Prayer you think of, not the one they teach you, but actually in John 17, there's a picture, uh, a story of Jesus praying. It's actually in, I think it's in the Garden of Gethsemane, but John actually writes out his prayer. So if you want to turn there, uh, turn to John 17, uh, starting with verse 20. I was on Facebook uh, probably like a month ago, and I saw this pastor from this area uh, post uh, this stat that actually, it, it shocked me. And so I want to throw that up there. Uh, we tested it today. You can barely see it from the very back. Uh, but this is, this is Barner's research group. They're a Christian research group. And they uh, just did this survey of people and came up with the top 100 post-Christian regions and cities. Uh, they, they put Scranton, Wilkes-Barre, and Hazleton all together. Uh, but it's kind of shocked because I don't think of Scranton as like a big place that would probably be post-Christian. But if you look, uh, you probably can't see in the back. That is number 12. So Scranton is... 54% post-Christian. We make number 12 on that list, uh, which kind of shocked me. More than half of the people in this area uh, define themselves as post-Christian. And what that means is they, I'm assuming they call people, but the list, they had to meet nine or more of the following factors to qualify as post-Christian. So some of them were they don't believe in God, they identify as atheists or agnostic. They disagree that faith is important in their lives. They have not prayed to God in the last week, have never made a commitment to Jesus, uh, have not donated money to the church, have not attended a church in the last six months, agree that Jesus committed sins, which that one blew my mind. I was like, who thinks that? But uh, do not feel a responsibility to share their faith, have not read the Bible in the last week, have not volunteered at the church in the last week, not attended Sunday school or home group in the last week, uh, and not born again. So that's... Our region meets nine of those, uh, which is interesting, right? You know, if you look around, you probably wouldn't think that. Anyone ever knew that stat? I don't think I knew it until I saw it, and it shocked me. And I was thinking, what is the answer to this? Because he posted the same thing, like, hey, guys, there's something we need to, there's a work to be done in this region, because more than half of us, more than half of this region is considered post-Christian. They move beyond the Christian belief into something else. And I don't look at, luckily for us, the Bible gives answers, Right? And I love how in this prayer of Jesus, we actually see the answer to what to do for this region. And so uh, let's read how to solve this post-Christian problem. So start at verse uh, 20. And I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. I want to stop there because uh, that's a powerful line. Because what is Jesus doing there? He's talking about us. We're in the Bible right there, which is a cool thought. Um, 2,000 years ago, Jesus prayed a prayer about you. Say it's about me. That's, 
And so uh, I was reading, N.T. Wright has a commentary on this, and he said, picture it like this. You, like, idolize, like, a musician or an author, and then you find, like, an old manuscript of theirs, and your name's sitting in it. Wouldn't that, like, blow your mind? Like, if the Beatles wrote a song about me, it would blow my mind. Uh, But this is more than the Beatles. Ha-ha, John Lennon. Jesus is more famous than the Beatles. This holds weight today. Jesus is praying about us. And I love that one line, through their word. So those who believe through their word. This is 2,000 years ago. Who's thankful that the word of God has been shared throughout the generations? It is one, like, step away from being wiped out because it's just our word, but it never has been. It's, it's been going on forever. And I love it because I think Jesus' prayer is still ringing out today. And that's what's carrying this through. That's just a side sermon. So just remember this. It's important. What he's about to say is important. He's praying about us 2,000 years ago. So let's continue. So I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, and that they may become perfectly one, so the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. I love that prayer. Uh, so how are people going to know Jesus was sent by God? I love Jesus repeats it twice in here. It's so important. Unity. Unity is the answer to this post-Christian area. That we would be perfectly one. And I love that he decides to add perfectly there because if he just said we'll be one, we're like, okay, we're a church together. We're one. Perfectly one. That there's no disagreements. There's no arguments. And I want to lay out today uh, what that is. But I want to talk first uh, about the global church, like the whole church, uh, real quick. But that's not what I want to preach on today. It's funny, I looked up the stat. You know there are about 40,000 different denominations of churches and branches of churches? I don't think that was Jesus' plan when he said they may all be one. And I get why they had to do that. And I, I mean, you can see in history the branching off and, like, there's important decisions made there. And I know the Protestants deemed what the Catholic was doing was not of God. So they're like, we're of God, so we're going to make an, a new thing here. But this is not about that, the church globally today. That's a whole other sermon. Maybe we'll preach on it in the church message. But today, I want to talk about this church right here, the people sitting here right now. So turn to your neighbor and say, he's talking about us today. So the foundation of unity can't be a denomination or non-denomination. It, it can't be a th- certain theological belief. It can't be all being the same skin color. It can't be all voting the same way. It can't be all from the same class and background. What does Jesus say the foundation here is? Love. The way I love, my fathers love me, I love you, now you love others. It's all about love. And I was sitting there 
because we, maybe you haven't experienced the Father's love today. Uh, I, I see new faces here, so I don't know if all of you are, uh, have been going to church for a while. But God's love, that word love there that he uses is not like an earthly love. It's agape love. It's a heavenly love. It's unconditional. I don't know about you, but I've never, except in worship today, uh, my daughter was being funny and she like wanted me to hold her. Then she sat down, or I let her down because it was way too hot back there. And she grabbed my hand. And I was like, I love my daughter. I don't think my daughter could do anything wrong ever. My wife gets mad because I treat her like she does nothing wrong ever. I'm like, oh, you're fine. Go do what you want. You're screaming at me. Uh, but that's the closest I've gotten to unconditional love, right? It's when you have kids, you realize that, like, there's nothing they can do. You get mad at them sometimes. But, like, I would do anything for my daughter or my son. I would do anything. And that's the love that it's talking about here. It can't be dictated by emotions or feelings. God's love on the cross was not dictated by I'm going to do this because I think one day maybe they'll return these emotions to me. He died for sinners. He died for the unrighteous. He died for his enemies. He forgave the people who were crucifying him. How, I, man, I'm preaching like three sermons today, but on that cross, how powerful wouldn't it have been if you're standing there, you're the soldiers that crucified Jesus, and out of his mouth you hear, Father, forgive them. What a powerful moment. I hope they all got saved right then. But it's a crazy thought that this is the love we're supposed to love people in this church with. An unconditional love. A love that is not dictated by any feelings. It's a love that lays down its life for strangers and enemies. And I want to invite those today who've never felt that love. That love from the, it, it comes from somewhere. We can't like force this love up. We have to accept the love of the Father to, earn, to, get the, to understand this love. So if you've never felt that love, if you think you're undeserving, if you think God's angry at you, you're missing a chance for like some of the greatest love you've ever felt today. And once we feel that and once we realize it, it's so much easier to lay down our life for others. So the foundation is love. I know when you start throwing love around these days, people get scared because like, okay, as Ben's saying, everyone can come in. We're just going to have a crazy belief party where we can just have different theological ideas and just party hard and not care about anything else. But as long as we love each other, that's fine. I'm not saying that. There are a few things that are non-negotiable in unity. Uh, and it's important things. The main thing that should matter to us, I don't want like secondary issues to be what we fight about. That's not what we're supposed to fight about. But there's a main thing is that Jesus was crucified and he rose again and he's making all things new and that's how we're saved. It's not by anything we've done to earn that. He's done it because he loves us. So I'm not saying if someone came into the church and tried to add to that gospel or take away from that gospel, we'd be like, okay, but we, we, we got to be unified, so let's keep this guy around. Uh, that is not what Jesus is saying here either. The foundation is him. So if we make it anything else, add to it or anything else. But there are things that are negotiable. Uh, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, I resolved to know nothing but Jesus and Jesus crucified. That was his main goal. I want to know this. Uh, I was in a meeting once. Uh, I'll be honest. It was a church planning meeting about this church way back in 2009. And there was an argument going on between a, a group of people about two differ, differing theologies. Like really, I mean, two main people fight about them all the time. And our team was like fighting. And if you know me, uh, I'm a peacekeeper. I don't like to cause conflict. 
I don't like to be involved in conflict. I run from conflict. I sleep during conflict. Uh, when we decided to buy my house, I was so conflicted and so scared about buying my own house, I slept. I just went upstairs. I was like, see you, Crystal. Napped. Because I just don't like that feeling of like uncertainty and conflict and like unknowing. I like peace. And so I'm sitting there, and these people are, and it's not like a nice Christian theological debate where they're just talking nicely about They're yelling. One guy's just crossing his arm going, nope, nope. And all of a sudden, the Lord brought that verse in Corinthians to my mind. Hey, I resolve to know nothing but Christ and Christ crucified. So I, I said, guys, why are we fighting about this? We're going for the same goal here. It's, it's to let Jesus be known in Scranton. Let his resurrection and his crucifixion for us be known in Scranton. So that is non-negotiable. But there are things that are negotiable. There's lots of theological things that are like secondhand things. Uh, if you were to sit in the office with me and Jesse on any given day, we're having some sort of theological argument, a nice argument. We never yell. It's more of a discussion. But we know in the end, me and Jesse are here for the same reason. It's to reach Scranton. And so Jesse can speak to me in love. I can speak to him in love about theological issues that don't really matter because they're not adding to the gospel. I heard Matt Chandler say recently, uh, when we get to heaven or when we get to wherever the end's going to be, I believe it's a new earth, uh, when we get, and Jesus is standing in front of us, I, I dare one of you, I don't think you will, to go, hey, Jesus, who's right about this? Is it Calvinism or is it Arminianism? Who should we have voted for in 2018 or what, 2020? You're not going to be doing that in front of Jesus. You're going to look around and see every nation, every tongue, every color, every race, every political party represented there, and they're going to be worshiping Jesus. Because why? They believed in him, and they believed he was crucified for them. And so in the end, none of these smaller little issues matter. And our churches, our churches have been divided over them. It's not about that. It's about love. Love one another. Lay down your life for one another. We're just going to be worshiping in the end, so why not worship together now as a one unified body? Lay down your arguments. Lay down your theologies. I love uh, when people come to me and Jesse with different thoughts, and they disagree with us, and we can have a conversation, and, they, and they're still here, and, they, and we can love them, and we learn from people all the time. Don't think me and Jesse have everything right. The gospel, it says it's a mystery. I've learned recently I used to, like, love arguing a certain theology, and I don't do it anymore. I'd rather just embrace the mystery of Christ and go, you know what? We're not going to have this all figured out till we're at the end and we see Jesus and realize it all together at the same time. I'd rather live in the mystery than study and study and study to prove someone else wrong about something. It's a good thing to do. So can I show you something I'm embarrassed about, a book I own? I bought this book. I don't know when. I saw it at a store once and then got it. It might have been on my wish list for Christmas. How to win every argument with the use of logic. I don't know why. In fact, I don't want this book anymore. I'm gonna, I might rip it. But I bought that book at one point in my life because we as humans like to be right. I'm a very competitive person. Come play a board game with me. My wife pretends she doesn't know me at game nights because I like to win. I like to be right. And I bought that book saying, I can win every argument now. 
And I read the whole book, and it's actually disappointing because they make you use, like, I wanted it to teach me how to be right at everything. It just teaches you how to argue well so people give up. Uh, I was like. <laughs> but we don't have to be right. We don't have to win all the time. We don't have to know everything. We don't have to, if someone, like, the biggest issue I see in the church today is we're humans. And we forget that everyone else around us is, is going through the same things we are. We forget that everyone struggles. So we come in here and we like to argue and gossip and fight. And the biggest thing we need to do, and this is what, one of the biggest things right now I'm working through, and I want to challenge this church to work through, is lay down the need to be right. Just give it up. My wife's probably saying amen somewhere. She's staring at me. Is I like to be right still. But when in whatever situation, I'm not just talking about theological ideas there. In any argument with any person in the church, the goal isn't to be right. The goal is for unity. And so if you're fighting and fighting with someone about something in the church, that's not the goal. We need to lay it down. Uh, no greater love can a man do than lay down his life. I believe we need to start laying a lot of things down to become unified. That's, a, that's life there, our whole life. I, I know right now, uh, I don't, I'm not saying unity is me willing to die for Robert, but unity is me willing to give Robert a chance when he's, he disagrees with something on me. And I don't fight him back. I say, okay, I'm going to lay down what I think and hear him out and listen to him. We need to lay down our pride, our selfishness, our anger, our secondhand theology issues, our political affiliations, our frustrations with other people. We need to love and serve and fight for unity. We need to stop fighting people. And I love how the Bible says you pick up your cross. It doesn't say you pick up offense at people. You don't pick up gossip with people. But you pick, it's always sacrificing. It's always sacrificing. And I want this church to be united uh, because we're a family. Church isn't just a Sunday morning experience. It's a family. Uh, and who wants to be in a lame family where they fight all the time? We need to stop fighting. We need to stop wanting to be right. If you want to fight for something, fight for your unsafe family members. If you want to fight about something, fight for your unsafe friends. If you want to fight... Fight for Scranton to know Jesus. If you want to fight, fight for this region to know Jesus, for this city to know Christ, for your neighborhood to know Christ, for your workplace to know Christ. Stop fighting and gossiping and bickering with each other. God's point for the church is to be a place of love and unity. The gospel is worth it. It's worth this sacrifice. It's worth laying yourself down. It's worth Loving with an unconditional love. There's so much weight when Jesus says the world will know that I'm sent by God because the church is united as one body. That's a weighty statement, right? There should be a lot more focus on unity and a lot less focus on theology. There needs to be a lot more focus on love than trying to be right. God is wanting a church to be united for a purpose. He's not looking for a church to have all the, the arguments with people. He's not looking for a church to be the church that only white people go to, to be a church. He's looking for a, a, a 
united church of all people. And the foundation is love. I remember as a kid growing up, there's this one family in my church that I was like, this is a nice family. Like, they look better than my family. I wish I was a part of that family. I want to I know that family. I want to, like, because in my view, my family, we argued a lot. I, didn't, I have a twin brother that I didn't get along with. Uh, he broke his arm once and got a cast. And, like, I walked into his room. I was like, hey, Andy, sorry you broke your arm. And what did he do? He smacked me over the head with his cast as hard as he could. Uh, so there's a And I don't It was in. He wasn't, like, doing it. He was just trying to start a fight. I'm always stronger than him, though. I hope you're listening, Andy. Uh, but I saw this family. And I'm like, I was like, this family looks awesome. It looks perfect. Uh, they have cool things. They all seem to have fun and get along. And then I went to that family's house. Anyone have that experience as a kid? Like you see a family you think is better than yours, and you're like, I want to be part of that family. And then you go over there, and you realize they're sharing the same brokenness as your family is. And it's not any different. I feel like the church is at that point where, where outsiders come in, and they're saying this is no different than out there. There's divisiveness, there's division, there's arguing, there's pettiness. That's not supposed to be, that's not what the church is supposed to be. And so we can't show, the, the, when the world comes to the church, when they show up here, they should see a reflection of Christ and love. They shouldn't re- see a reflection of themselves. Who wants to see that, right? I hate mirrors. Like anytime I have to look at myself in the mirror, it's just to fix my hair that I'm losing. And that's it. I just don't like seeing myself. And I feel like the world, the world is tired. The world is, is, we're the most divided I think we've ever been. Not just as a nation, just across the whole globe. There's divisions everywhere. The world doesn't need to come to a church that looks the same as that. They don't need to come to a place and feel broken again. They need to see love. And that's our goal as this church is to reveal Christ's love for them. They need beauty, not brokenness. Brokenness isn't attractive. They need to see unity because it's beautiful and it's good. We need a unity that goes beyond the barriers of race, custom, of gender, of class, a unity that lays down the non-important theological ideas, political parties, and just loves like Jesus loves us and like the Father loved him. That is what we're going for here at City of Lights. We don't want to be a place where people walk in and just find the normal sea of life and leave. We want to be a heavenly family here on earth. Imagine what would happen if, if we're united as one church under one purpose, loving people unconditionally. Scranton, that number would go down. In fact, I want to start tracking that number from now for my sermon on because I, I believe it's going to go down. If you get this message, you want that number to go down. We need to love unconditionally the people in this church, the people outside of this church. Unity is the answer to the the brokenness. Adam and Eve sinned, and ever since then, there's been like a separation. And Jesus won that communion back for us. But people are broken because of that. But when they come into a place that's not broken, that seems loving and seems whole and seems like they're doing something, that changes someone's life. 
It brings the world to know that Jesus was here for a reason. That's our goal here. Imagine if if this church looked more like a a loving family for Scranton. I don't think those numbers would be the same. Let's lay down our lives for the sake of this unity so the world will know Jesus was sent. Let's be people united by the love of Christ, showing the love of Christ, treating everyone here with the same love. There's a verse, uh, I love this verse in Psalms 133. This is actually a song, and I'm confused by this song because you'll see how it gets a little interesting halfway through, but it says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down the beard on the beard of Aaron, running down the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. I love that. It's good and pleasant. I put beard oil in today, and I was like, it's good and pleasant. <laughs> but that, that picture, Aaron was the main, was the original priest. I'm sure... Back then, they, this was a highly regarded person in the Jewish culture. I know it was. And the picture Aaron with, like, the anointing, the precious oils that were used for ministering and, and anointing running down him was a beautiful sight to the Jewish people. Now I think that we would write those lyrics differently. Imagine singing that song, and be like, like the beard of Aaron. Like, I'm going to write this song. I'm going to put a melody to this. Uh, but the dew of Hermon is actually a metaphor. They're reading and studying this. It actually snowed on that mountain. It wasn't dew. It snowed. And it actually brought water to the Israelites. That was one of their main sources of fresh water. And I love that picture. Unity brings life. Unity does something. And then the best part about it is, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing. We're blessed when we're united. We accomplish more when we are united. And this blessing here isn't just like, Thank you, Lord, for your blessing, like a spiritual thing. When this is actually understood as the Lord blesses them with fruit, with productivity. And it's such an awesome picture because a divided people can't get anything done, can't be productive if you're just fighting and arguing all the time and not loving each other. But a unified people can bring blessing to a city. A unified people can start seeing the Lord do things and work and grow things in their lives. And that's what we're called to do. If, uh, if the worship team wants to come forward. And there's that line in that song that I love that says, I will build my life on your love. And then show your love to others around me. That is what this church is about. We are going, I want to be a place of hope where people walk in. They don't see a divided people. They see a united people. And it's beautiful. And it's glorious. And the Lord's here. His presence here. The oil is running down. And people are like, look at all those people covered in oil. That's beautiful. His presence is here. We are united people. And if you fight for anything today, fight for unity. Don't fight other people. Don't, don't argue. Don't gossip. But fight for unity because the Lord's blessing is there. And we have a post-Christian area that needs us. They need to see an example of heaven on earth. And I believe that's what this church is supposed to be for this region. An example of heaven on earth. An example of the love 
of Christ.